Amen. Let's welcome up Fritz Marr. Uh, if you missed Keith's introduction, uh, Fritz is the, um, the leader of Regeneration Therapy Counseling. In, uh, where is it located, Fritz? Chaplin and Danielson, and um, uh, over the last few months, we have been extending uh, an offer uh, for a free trial of counseling sponsored by the church, if that is something that you are interested in, and uh, that offer does, does remain, um, but uh, we're, we're blessed to be able to hear from Fritz this morning, so let's give our attention to him. Good, it's great to be here and to uh, share with you what's been on my heart. And we certainly, in the situation we find ourselves right now with COVID-19 and the problems that that's caused and the death that has uh, been wrought on our land, uh, there's certainly cause for being fearful, cause for being anxious. I often sit in my office listening to people share about their anxieties and their fears and, and, and some so traumatized by it that they're actually shaking and crying and my heart goes out to them wanting to support and help and teach them some ways to overcome that fear and anxiety. It's my conviction that people of faith too often fall into what I will call and define for you in a little bit as worldly fear. It's the default emotional response in a stance to the challenges of life. It's also my conviction that a worldly fear is the primary block to the abundant life that Jesus has promised his followers. So I have a question. What if, what if you could live life without fear? What if you could live life without fear? What would be possible for you, for your family, for others? What would be possible for the kingdom of God? What if you could live life without fear? It tells us in the word, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. A spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So again, what if you could live life without fear? God, I thank you for this time this morning that we can come and we can worship, listen to music that enlivens our hearts and opens our mind to receive from you. Oh God, we know that you are ever-present. Oh God, we know that you are good and gracious and merciful. Despite the circumstances we find ourselves in and the challenges in this world, God, none of it is a surprise to you, and you are always present, ready to support and encourage and fill us with your love. I thank you this morning for this opportunity to speak and thank you in Jesus name amen so my outcomes for this morning for you is I want to define worldly fear and then a godly fear and I also want to talk about fear and it's an accompanying feelings of anxiety and so 
also taking this passage that we have here in the Word of God because it is a pathway out of fear. It is a formula that we can incorporate in our lives and, and it gives us a way to get out of fear and anxiety. And by the end of the service, I'm hoping that what you hear and what you experience will cause you to emotionally commit to walking in a life of power and love and self-control. So what is fear? Now certainly fear is a natural human emotion. As a matter of fact, yesterday I was working in my building in Danielson. We have a new office building and some of the contractors left this big steel light fixture leaning up against the wall and I stepped through a doorway and I stepped on a board that was on the floor. That board was bowed. It went like this and it, it hit that uh, steel light. That light came down and I just saw something out of the corner of my eye and I went like that and it just went right past me. Now, in that moment of fear, my language was not the best. <laughs> And Gretchen came running, and someone was downstairs and came running, and because I heard the crash, they heard me yell, and I was so scared, heart was pumping, all right? So fear is a natural reaction to danger, and I certainly experienced it yesterday. So fear is a natural reaction to um, what we have, and I, I think I actually have, there we go. <laughs> I, forgot I, have, I forgot that I have a PowerPoint up here. So fear, the unpleasant emotion caused by a belief that someone or something is dangerous or likely to cause pain or is a threat. It's just natural. Anxiety, therefore, is an emotion characterized by feelings of tension. It's worrisome thoughts. There's physical changes like increased blood pressure and release of adrenaline and the release of cortisol in our system. And we know from the current research that living in a constant state of anxiety is not good for us. In fact, some doctors would assert that much of our medical challenges today are the result of living in constant stress and turmoil. Add into that the challenges that have come as a result of experiencing trauma in one's life or having been through some difficulties in life, and we have these memories and just experiences that are trapped in our body that keep us lit up with anxiety. We can have intrusive thoughts and concerns, and certainly they can get difficult enough that they require intervention. And sometimes you'll hear things like generalized anxiety disorder or PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, or OCD, obsessive-compulsive disorder. And so we have lots of terms, but they really come down to the fact that people are experiencing anxiety in a way that's causing them to have trouble in functioning in life. And so fear and anxiety go together. They kind of link up. They're not necessarily uh, interchangeable, but they go together. And the anxiety has a particular impact on the brain, and I'll talk more about that as we talk about the pathway out of it. But first, digging into the passage, and I learned when I was uh, taught preaching that uh, we did a much more expository style, and I know Pastor Ryan does that here, uh, so I'm doing more of a topical this morning, but I do want to take us into the context of this verse. 
And if you go to first, uh, Second Timothy and you look up this verse, you'll see that Paul was talking to Timothy, a younger man. And uh, he was wanted to encourage him. Now, Timothy had been with Paul on a number of his journeys, had witnessed, uh, Paul had witnessed Timothy's tears and his fears. And Paul tells us in this passage that Timothy has a sincere faith. And that was something that was taught by his family, his grandmother Lois and his mother uh, Eunice, which is a good, something to think about for us as we're raising our children and teaching them about faith. In verse 6, Paul tells Timothy, he says, fan into flame the gift that God has given you. Paul's connection with Timothy at this emotional level, he recognized that Timothy had this deep faith, but there was something that Timothy needed to do, and that was fan the flame of the gift of God alive. It's like this whole idea in the Greek here was like there's this little ember, and some of you have probably done fires where you're blowing on a fire or maybe fanning a fire to, to get the oxygen in so the flame would come up, and that's the idea here. Basically, Paul was saying, look, Timothy, you have a gift. God's given you a gift. You have a purpose for living. The gospel needs to be preached. You've been shown great examples of it in your family, but there's something you need to do, and you need to fam fam I can't get that word out. <laughs> flam it? I'm going to say that's a new word in the English dictionary, flame it. All right. So flame it. Fan it alive. And so get that ember going. And we know from the historical record that Timothy did this. In fact, it tells us that Timothy was an early Christian evangelist. Uh, he was the first bishop in Ephesus. And some of you may know from your uh, biblical history, Ephesus was a great port city. No longer. It's uh, all been filled in with um, uh, debris and stuff. It's no longer the port city, but it was at that time. And there was a great temple there and a great temple of Diana. And so a lot of people come from all over the world, trading and worshiping and all kinds of things going on. And we know from the record that the flame was alive because he was preaching. And one day he was upset enough that there was this big festival going out and people going to this temple of Diana. And he went out and preached the gospel of Jesus. And so the tradition tells us that he was stoned to death for preaching the gospel. So Timothy did, he fanned alive that flame that God had given him. So this fire for the gospel, Timothy, rather than shrinking back, he launched out in the spirit of power, in a spirit of love, and I'll guarantee you, in a spirit of self-control. There was a style of thinking that moved him on. I would submit this morning that there is a style of thinking that gets us stuck. As I said earlier, worldly fear, what is it? I think it's a timidity or shrinking back in one's duty or calling or gifting in the daily difficulties which Christians face in life. I see it so often. Fathers perhaps shrinking back in their duty to raise their children. Husbands perhaps shrinking back in loving their wives and Wives shrinking back in fear and anxiety and having difficulty managing their home or 
managing their children and families. How often do we hear about people shrinking back in fear and anxiety, maybe in the workplace, or maybe now, I, I remember I was, I, I, I did a no-no. I walked the wrong way down an aisle in Walmart uh, during the early part of this COVID, and, and this, this, this older man, he like, I mean, he visibly went, like, you know, and I like, and uh, he's, oh, you can't go this way, you got to, you know, and he just really, it riled him up, and I stopped and uh, had a mask on, and uh, I, I just nodded my head, and I apologized, sir, sorry to, sorry to disturb you, and I just turned around and walked the other way. Um, but many people are just filled with fear. And if you're walking in a store, and uh, I, I tend to be honest, I, I put my mask on, and I go to the stores, and I'm, I'm careful with my distance. And, but sometimes I'm just walking through stores, and you'll see people, you know, take that step aside and try to move aside. And, and rightly so. This is a very challenging time for us with COVID. So timidity and fear is something that most people can see all around them all the time. I would say that worldly fear for Christians, it drives a wedge in our relationship. It, it kind of pulls us apart from our relationship with God and with others. We're consumed by it. It keeps us from connecting with God and others at a deeper emotional level. I would submit it keeps us from walking fully in our calling and purpose. And I would submit it keeps us from walking in our destiny. Worldly fear intimidates and weakens us. It binds us up. It's like putting ourselves in a straitjacket. It locks us into self-made prison. So I like to contrast that with godly fear. It says in Psalm that uh, his praise endures forever. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have good understanding. For me, godly fear is a conviction that results in the awareness of my sin, that results in the awareness that I've missed the mark in some way. Realizing our great need for God's provision of Jesus and thereby compels us to flee to Him. Now perhaps some listening this morning do not know what it means to flee to Jesus or you don't have a relationship with Him. I would encourage you to hang in there and consider the words as we move forward, because there is a way to overcome fear and anxiety in this world, and a relationship with Jesus is a powerful way to do it. I would say godly fear acknowledges God as creator and sustainer of all life. I would submit that godly fear recognizes that I'm loved and beloved. I would submit that it recognizes that I'm a son of the most high God, and that there are others, sons and daughters of God who are living and have the opportunity to live a life of power and abundance. I would say godly fear results in a reverence for God that gets deep in our soul, but does not cause us to shrink, but causes us to shout for joy and to engage in what God has given us to do. I think it results in true humility because I am, I'm able to recognize my faults and my shortcomings, and yet, despite those, I accept myself because my God accepts me and loves me. So godly fear frees us up to be, to be fully who we were meant to be, to love and to serve others. So again, contrasting worldly fear and godly fear, which one would you rather live in? Worldly fear or godly fear?
It's my hope that you would say godly fear. And we're going to talk about how to do that now as we dig into this. So we know that there is hope for us. The role of anxiety, really, if you boil it down when I, when I think about anxiety, what does anxiety do for us? And I think one way to think about anxiety is that it tends to punish us, doesn't it? When we're thinking all the time in busy mind and the beta waves and this whole neuroscience behind this, but when we're constantly worried, we're in high beta, constantly worried, busy mind, monkey mind, you'll hear those kinds of terms. But it really is a self-punishment, isn't it? And perhaps in our anxiety and in our fear, we lash out at others and therefore punish others. And in some way, we protect ourselves by keeping people at a distance. So the role of anxiety, maybe to punish myself, punish others, to protect me from others and the world. And to be honest, some of you may not like this, hang in. Anxiety prioritizes me. I become the focus. It's all about me and what I think and what I'm convinced of, regardless of any evidence to the contrary. Anxiety. Much of what we fear is, is not based in reality. In fact, our minds respond to the pictures and words every day, and we'll see that as we get to the end of the service. Um, I was just looking for my clock. <laughs> But our minds respond to the pictures and words. That's why what we speak is so important. What we constantly put in our minds is so important. These fears and anxieties, they take root in our souls, and some of them from early on in childhood, even from painful experiences. But again, the rule of the mind is that our mind responds to the pictures and the words that we use each and every day. It's interesting to note also some recent research shows that our minds, when we're in the state of fear and anxiety, we pick it up like all around us. We, our brain scans the world around us and brings in information to confirm the way I feel. Milliseconds. You know how long it takes for a happy or good thought, grateful thought, beautiful thought to sink into our mind? About 15 to 20 seconds. So if you're always in the busy Worrying about what's going on around us, we screen out the opportunity to see what's beautiful and right and lovely and true and all the things that the Apostle Paul talks us, tells us to dwell on. We forget that there's much going on, there's much beauty going on in the world, and there's much to do. Remember this, this is also another rule of the mind that what we focus on tends to get bigger. Someone who is so full of anxiety and has like a social anxiety, is locked away in their home, doesn't want to go outside, pulls the shades down, uh, tapes up the windows perhaps, they didn't start out that way. There was some little anxiety, some experience, um, something happened in their life that began to build up and then they began to take in information that reinforces that fear and anxiety and after a while they just want to close themselves off from the world. Again, our minds, our experience of life is what we think about and the emotions, the pictures we have in our brain. So if what we focus on gets bigger, I'm of the opinion, I'm going to focus on what's good and right and true and what's beautiful. And so how do we banish fear then? As we dig into the scripture, how do we banish fear? 
Banish means to send it away, to like put it out into another country or a place for punishment. It's to forbid or abolish, to get rid of something altogether. And so I would submit that we can, we can, we can banish fear and doubt. The word tells us that we can do this. And so what does it mean in the scripture here when we go back to our verse and it says he did not give us a spirit of fear but one of power, love, and self-discipline. This word here, spirit of fear, is uh, translated in a couple different ways. Some versions of the word of God talk about uh, timidity or cowardice. And you'll see that. So this, it's something within me. That I'm, I, I just, it's my way of being in a sense. And yet God tells us in his word here that he gave us something. It's interesting to me. He gave us, he gave us a spirit of power, love, and self-control. So in my mind, I'm thinking, wow, a divinely given gift, free of charge, just for me and just for you. Power, love, and self-control. What is this spirit of power? So often we see when somebody's in anxiety, when I'm in my anxiety, I'm always blaming the problems of the world on somebody else. It's the next politician. I don't care what grade or what politician or where in politics you might be, but the tendency to blame others, to villainize other people, to say it's, always their fault, waiting for someone to come and rescue us, except the rescuing that Jesus does, but in a worldly sense, always blaming others for the problems of life. And again, hang in with me here, because this is, to be honest, a victim mentality. When I'm waiting or blaming every problem in my life on other people, um, that's a difficult place to be. Now, I recognize absolutely recognize that there are some people in very difficult situations and sometimes in situations that are outside of their control. I recognize that. And I think we're called to help people in those kinds of situations. I would submit, however, that the vast majority of the problems of our life are the direct result of the way we think and the beliefs that we have and then the actions that we take. And what does it mean to have a spirit of power. The word here, spirit in the Greek is uh, pneuma, or it's like a breath. It's like, there is this breath of power. We have it. And I would say it's the attitudes that I carry. When you ever walk into a room and get into the presence of somebody and just got this negative feeling. Now, people who have been through trauma, they have built, my wife is like this, has built in radar. And she'll tell me like, watch that person, you know, I'm like, what are you talking about? You know? <laughs> but she's got a radar. But there's people, there's a way they carry themselves, right? Maybe they feel dangerous, something's, maybe instead of something's off with them, not quite right. We carry with us some attitude, some spirit. We give off a sense. And certainly they actually can measure the energy that we carry, whether it's negative or positive. And it has an effect. And actually our energy field, most people have within their arm's length is like their safe zone. You ever have somebody like come and talk to you right in here? Like, of course, in my mind as a counselor, I'm going, man, what's up with them? <laughs> but they're making me anxious. I have to work on love in that moment. 
But we all, we all have that, and so we experience people in different ways. And I think that's what the, the word is talking about. It's our way of being. The word tells us that he's given us power to overcome the schemes of the enemy. Excuse me. Matthew 18 says that we can bind things on earth and in heaven. There's power in our words. In Luke 24, Jesus said, you'll be clothed with power from on high. Hang tight, it's coming. In 2 Corinthians 12, the Apostle Paul talks about the power of Christ, that it may rest in us. He's given us this power. Now, I would submit that there is power by aligning my thinking with the truth in God's word. There's power in living in my way that God has given me identity and purpose. And uh, catching up with my PowerPoint. So remembering that God is on board. You know, there's this neat idea when I, I went to uh, Alliance Theological Seminary for my counseling and uh, there was this theological term they called perichoresis. And it's this idea of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And they're dancing together. It's an interesting way to think about it. That God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, dancing together. And that we're partakers of the divine nature. And we have the opportunity to dance with the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Isn't that an interesting way to think about it? That we can dance with God. And delight in his presence and the work that he's doing. I would submit as we sang this morning, there's power in prayer. There's, there's something about centering ourselves and, and experiencing the presence of God in the moment. Because he's always present. I often hear people say that God seems so far away. And that is simply a matter of my thinking. Because he's always present. It's his truth that transforms. There's power in his truth. How about this? I'll come back and I'll preach about the sons and daughters of God sometime, if that'd be all right. But we have the opportunity to understand. Do we fully embrace and understand what we have as sons and daughters of the Most High God? Opportunity. We have power. Moving on to a spirit of love, and Gretchen, could you bring up my phone or somebody bring my phone? I just want to keep track of my time. Thank you. The spirit of love. In this uh, scripture here, in Greek, we know there's different words for love. <clears throat> Excuse me. The one that they use here is agape love. So this is a, an affectionate love, a benevolence it's unconditional, and some would say it's a divine love. I really love that. Because the God who holds all of this together loves enough to send his son, Jesus, to show us what love is and what forgiveness is. And it's an unconditional love. So many of my brothers and sisters in the Christian faith have this idea that somehow God is mad at them. Somehow God is not looking out for their best interest. And yet it's an unconditional love. 
In fact, if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 4 through 7, so many of us know this scripture about the definition of love, and love is patient and kind, and love does not envy or boast, and it goes on. But do this, because the word says that God is love, and if he is, and I believe he is, God is love. If you put God in that verse, this is the way it sounds. Our God is patient and kind. Our God does not envy or boast. Our God is not arrogant or rude. Our God does not insist on his own way. He's not irritable or resentful. He does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but he rejoices with truth. You see, our God bears all things. Our God believes all things. Our God hopes all things, and our God endures all things. That's the God that loves you and loves me. It's my conviction, brothers and sisters, that God's love for us breaks away the chains of fear. In Ephesians, it talks about the spirit of love, knowing that I am loved by God and, and, that I, and by loving Him, I can love others and love myself. Love, agape love. Are you living in a spirit of agape love? I am convinced, I am absolutely convinced that the world has not seen the fullness of what people of Christian faith can do in the world around us. The Christian faith has been around <clears throat> since the death and resurrection of Christ for over 2,000 years and I'll admit, in the name of Christ, in the name of Jesus, much has been done that has nothing to do with what Jesus came to do, and that's to love and to save others. And therefore, I say, as we rise up in the spirit of power and love and self-control, we have the opportunity to show the world, even in the midst of the deepest crisis of health and even politics, that love conquers all. Love never fails. It's there. It's ready for us to walk it out. Well, how do we do that? It comes in the next piece here in self-control. Self-control. A spirit of self-control. The idea here, the word in, in the Greek has kind of a definition. There's not a real good English translation of the word. And so it's been translated in a couple different ways, but it has this broad sense of Again, self-discipline, self-control, self-mastery, prudence. The ability, I believe, to stand erect in steely defiance and master oneself. Now, I, I've worked with many years and hundreds of people at this point. I probably, last time I tried to count it up, I've probably done 18,000 hours of face-to-face -face counseling with people. And I've heard, I've heard a lot. And uh, even when I think I've heard everything, something happened this week in my office, and I, I haven't heard that one before. There's a lot of pain in our world. And yet it all, it comes down to self-discipline and self-mastery, and there's ways of counseling and working through grief and, and problems of the past, but ultimately we need to make choices for ourselves that begin us, uh, lead us in a way to live life differently. Self-discipline. 
I remember one time years ago talking to somebody about self-discipline, and they got, actually got angry at me, and that's happened in my office. I've actually had a pocketbook thrown at me. <laughs> um, they did come back, and I did duck, and it missed. <laughs> um, it, no, it wasn't my wife. <laughs> yeah. So a spirit of self-control, like, like getting, getting a hold of that idea that, that I have to make decisions for myself and, and, and it was an interesting conversation because the person got mad because you're telling me I have to do something? No, this is all about God. God's got to do it. Now, I don't know. I've just learned over time that there's this, there's this commingling of God's, God's will and human will. And he's more than happy to work along with us to empower us and encourage us. Ultimately, however, we have to make decisions and we have to take steps forward. You know, I can, I can think of a, a young, young man who was so afraid and, in fact, would go off in the woods with his dog and hide in the woods and make little forts and just be out alone. When he was really stressed, he would go up into the attic of his house and had a little corner with books and stuff made up, a little place where he could hide and just listen to the rain pattering on the roof. He loved to do it on a rainy day. A young man who in high school had so many difficulties uh, was afraid and was bullied at times in, in grammar school and uh, into junior high and just had a lot of fear and anxieties. Very difficult. And I'm telling you, that little guy is me. I know what it feels like to be afraid. I know what it feels like to be bullied. I know what it feels like to be full of anxiety. And yet I can tell you, I can stand here today and speak and say, it is, you can overcome it. We came to this area six years ago. I was told by somebody that you could never make a Christian counseling practice viable in the quiet corner of Connecticut. And without going into a story about how God led us here, but he led us here. He gave me a vision of a green valley that I was going to serve in, and I never knew the quiet corner was called the last green valley. Six years ago, we now have three full-time therapists, a couple part-timers, admin person, got a new building in Danielson. We're calling it the Center for Healing and Hope. God has given us so much, and so many people in this area are being blessed by counselors who want to help. And so I know it's possible. Part of the work for me has been self-mastery. There's been different ways that I've worked on that. But it's this ability to stand erect in steely defiance and not running off. Here's a fact that's hard for many people to consider. Where you and I are at in our life right now is a direct result of the internalized beliefs our thinking and our choices that we make each and every day. That's hard for some people to hear. Where you are in your life right now is a direct result of the choices that you make, the way you think and the beliefs that you have each and every day. Again, in some situations, people need help to get out of 
difficult places. But by and large, that statement holds true. And so how do we align ourselves with the truth of this passage? How do I do this? How do I walk in a spirit of love and not in a spirit of fear and anxiety? And I would say, <clears throat> I'm going backwards, aren't I? Sorry. How do I do this? Wake up. Wake up. What do you mean, Fritz, wake up? I'm awake. Actually, most people are not awake. I would submit that most people are living unconsciously. There's, we know this from the neurobiology now without going into a lot of detail, but there's like this, they call it the reticulator activating system. It's, the, it's kind of the net, neuro net in our minds that captures information and the beliefs I have are reinforced. And so I live, there's this, some of you are, are into computers and things. There's the operating system and computers and we all have this in our subconscious. We're living in an ongoing, what's the best word? Ongoing storyline that we're convinced won't change. Wake up, fan the flame, change your thinking, change your responses and your choices. And how do you do that? How do you do that? How do you wake up? Becoming aware, becoming consciously aware, what is it that I'm thinking about? What is it that I believe about myself and others in the world around me? And using my interruption method, I'll call it. <clears throat> Some of you have been in the military, you called heard the term AAA, and it's for the aircraft, the, the guns that they would shoot at, at planes, but they called it AAA. Now at the moment, I can't remember what it stood for, but anyways, AAA. Um, so my AAA is awareness, alignment, and action. Awareness, alignment, and action. This is an intentional process of detoxification and transformation. Romans 12.2 says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And how do you do that? We, we often speak these verses, but we don't sit back and say, well, how do I do that? How is God going to be transforming my mind? Now, some of it, I mean, there, some people I've talked to with addictions and stuff, like, boom, they're just gone. The, the desire is gone. And wonderful testimonies, and we tend to put those people up to give those testimonies. But for every one of those, there are hundreds, if not thousands, who struggle with the results of an addiction every single day. At some point, you have to interrupt. At some point, you have to say, enough, I'm done. And so you bring this awareness in. And so I'll talk about uh, awareness, and we're actually going to practice this in just a few minutes. But awareness, I need to identify the ants in my life. So remember this now. We think in images, ants. Think of ants. Got that? Thinking of ants. Automatic negative thoughts. That's what it stands for. Automatic negative thoughts. Now, I went to school. I got my master's degree in counseling. I actually have a slight executive functioning, like encoding problem. So I had to learn mnemonics and ways to study and memorize. So this is one way to do it. Ants, automatic negative thoughts. Some experience of life happens. We observe it. We experience it in some way. And 
automatically, boom, a negative thought comes in. I would submit that too often in our Western mindset, we're too dualistic in our thinking. We're always judging right, wrong, good, bad, who's in, who's out, and how can I disagree, and how can I fight against this, rather than being open-minded to consider another way of thinking. And the way to change that is, first of all, having a stance of open-mindedness um, to uh, see those negative thoughts come up, to see those judgments and those, those thoughts come up in the moment. And what are the automatic thoughts that arise in your situation of life? It's really helpful to do this by journaling, taking some time and writing it down. What beliefs and behaviors are thoughts? If, I, if I'm thinking the world is not a... If I'm thinking something's going to happen, I'm worried about something going to happen, my belief perhaps is that the world is not a safe place, right? So my thoughts are like a... They're like the... You think about a fishing line, and it's the, if you pull in, you reel it in, you'll get down to the belief. The fish on the line is that belief that I hold, and that's what's working in the subconscious. And so taking to slow yourself down and think about it, what are these beliefs that I have? And what are the, those beliefs, and how do they make me feel? Now, marketing knows this. They know that you're going to buy something based on, more often based on an emotional response versus logical. And Fritz is really susceptible. My wife is smiling. She's shaking her head. Yes, Fritz is very susceptible to this. And so I've had to learn, like, when I go to buy something, I have to wait at least 24 hours before I buy it. Then I usually, my logical mind will take over. And that wasn't such a good choice. That's not going to be a good choice. Um, but we respond to emotions. So I need to understand what I'm thinking, what I'm believing, and what emotions are going along with it. And if I'm thinking and believing, <clears throat> is the emotion, if I have this thought, I have this belief, and if I'm experiencing anxiety, I'm experiencing worry, I'm experiencing negative emotions, sadness, whatever it might be, then it's going to be important to change what you're thinking about and to work on changing your beliefs. <clears throat> your current reality and circumstances of life reveal what you believe. So when you identify those thoughts, you begin to say, okay, how true are those thoughts? Now, sometimes they are true, but are they always true? And if not always true, you want to start embracing different emotions. What emotions do you want to experience? And this is where the alignment comes in. Once you determine what you're thinking, how it affects you emotionally, and then determining that you want to experience life differently, what emotion do you want to feel, then you begin to have different thoughts. What thoughts would support those emotions? What truth in God's word would support a positive thought, a happy thought, a good thought? I have with me a handout that I give to people, and it's on our identity in Christ. And... Um, if you struggle with your identity in Christ, I have 88 different items on here that talk to us about who we are in Christ, being a child of God, forgiven, set free, seated in the heavenly, partakers in the divine nature, and it could rattle them on and on. But is that because the word tells us, you know, David said, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. The idea is that I would have these truths baked deep within and that's the way I begin to live my life. 
when I begin to align myself with what's true, especially in God's word, to set it again deep in your soul. And there's the whole practice of confession and repentance that we have in our faith that really helps us do this. As I, I confess with my mouth that this way I'm thinking, this way I'm living is, is just missing the mark of God's perfection. And I need to stop. I ask God for forgiveness. Boom, it's granted right away. I'm free. And then the next step is take action. Based on my new way of thinking, based on the truth, what then how then should I live? I've often said to people, we don't get what we want, we get what we're committed to. We don't get what we want, we get what we're committed to. Are we committed to loving others and are we committed to encouraging and blessing others? Are we committed to loving our spouse and loving our children and guiding and directing them? What actions will you take as a result of the beliefs the thoughts that you have, the AAA, awareness, alignment, and action. These are the things that we do. And therefore, we begin living out what it means to live in a spirit of power, love, and self-control. Those have been divinely and freely given and I, this morning, gave you a process on how to do that. How to live in what God has given us. So what I'd like to do is actually lead you through a prayer. And uh, we're going to get a little bit of music going here for our time of prayer. We're actually going to do something. I, I think another way, as I explained earlier, the way to change your thinking requires slowing down. I, how many, and I could say this to Pastor Ryan and Pastor Keith here, like how many times have we told the people we work with, like you got to do your quiet time, you got to get into the word, you got to do some, and some of the people, we know it, but we don't do it. But I'm telling you, there is a way you can get into that operating system and begin changing the way you think, how you feel, begin changing how you experience life. Again, as I said earlier, people, the world needs men and women who know what it means to be loved by a gracious, forgiving God. We have something for the world. We have something. So we're going to take a moment. One of the things that I like to do is to meditate and become a big believer in it. In fact, the Word of God tells us more often to meditate than it does to pray. And I know some people, when they hear meditation, so hang with me, keep an open mind. When they hear meditation or centering prayers, we, this is a kind of the mystical side of our faith that's missing, I think, in Western Christianity. So sometimes you start thinking about other religions and other practices, and people get really wigged out about it and don't want to do it. It's just, here's the thing, the neuroscience, it, like stop the arguing because the neuroscience backs it up. You need to relax get in a place of stillness allow God to start speaking to you in that deep place to change the operating system so we're going to practice it this morning so wherever you are I thought it would be good to do this because we're not in a place where there's a lot of people in your home wherever you are maybe you're in your car please pull over stop <laughs> and relax 
what we're doing is we're getting out of the busy mind, getting down to more alpha, theta waves. If you get down to delta, you'll fall asleep. Maybe you need to sleep right now. <laughs> That's all right. Um, but we want to get down and we want to hold in that place alpha, theta. Einstein and uh, Thomas Edison and others, actually, they didn't come up with their ideas by writing and being busy. They sat still and they contemplated. So, one way to do this is to breathe in. If you struggle with anxiety, air is so good. Oxygen is your friend. So breathing in through your nose and you're going to breathe out through your mouth a few times. So breathing in and out through your mouth. When you're breathing in, about three to four seconds, breathing in and breathing out about twice as much, six to eight seconds. Closing your eyes. Breathing in again. Notice yourself becoming relaxed. Now settling into a steady breathing in and out through your nose. Relaxing your jaw. Some people will notice that they have their tongue stuck to the top of their mouth. Tongue loose in the mouth. Jaw relaxed. Breathing in and out. On the next exhale, relaxing your shoulders. Breathing in and out. The Old Testament, the Hebrew, is a word for God, and we say Yahweh, and they actually were not to pronounce it, but if you were to do it in the original language, it would sound something like this. Yahweh. The very breath of God going in and out through your nose, filling your lungs. Wherever you're sitting, our God has wired us to see in images. Think of the room around you as completely white. The walls are white. The ceiling is white. The floor is white. Breathing in and out. Becoming more relaxed with every exhale. Is white. The chair you're perhaps sitting in is white. The Word of God tells us that we have been cleansed. It's like white as snow. In Revelations, it talks about believers being clothed in white. Completely clean. Breathing in and out. Everything is white.
think about in this moment, what is your biggest fear? some more anxiety, deep breathing, breathe in and out. On the wall in front of you that's completely white, God is present in this moment and desires to speak to you a truth that would confront that fear and set it aside right now he's writing it on that wall what do you see what is our loving and gracious and merciful God speaking to you right now Gracious Father, you speak. Sometimes we just have to sit still to be able to listen to a God who loves and cares for his people. Thank you for speaking this morning. Thank you for giving up yourself for us. People, we, we have so much to do. The world around us is in need of people who know what it means to be loved and be beloved of God. Our last song is going to be Waymaker. Our God is a miracle maker. He sets people free. I've seen it over and over again. I've also seen some people struggle and just seem really get caught up. And so, Father, for each person that's listening this morning, I pray a blessing on them, that they might be encouraged by what you've spoken to them, what they've heard today. Our world is aching for sons and daughters of the Most High God to rise up and, and be in a place of power and love and self-control. Be blessed. Our good God desires to equip you and help you serve in whatever way he has enriched you and blessed you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.